Turn your Bibles with me, please, to Luke chapter 19. We're going to dig right into this right away. And the title that I have for you this morning, please don't look up at your screen because there's no PowerPoint. The title that I have for you is, simply put, the king is coming. The king is coming. And the passage that we are about to read has to deal with the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. Say amen when you find it, please. I'm waiting for you. Amen. Luke 19, and I'm going to begin at verse 28. That would be an amen, right? Luke 19. I still hear some of the pages. Okay, they're solid now. Luke 19, verse 28 through the end of the chapter. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, He sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, whereon entering you will find a coat tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the coat, his owners said, Its owners said to them, why are you untying the coat? They should have said, why are you stealing my, th- my, my, my property? Why are you untying the coat? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing the cloaks on the coat, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks. I'm sorry. And as he, as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And, he's, and as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice. Thank you. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke. Your disciples, he answered, I tell you, 
If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you, hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything that they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. But all the people were hanging on his words. I'm sorry, this is tough for me because when I when I think about when I think about these last moments of our Jesus, when when I think about this passage and passages just like this one in the Gospels, because I know prophecy. My mind goes to the thousands of preceding years before this scenario right here. Thousands of years, the prophets proclaiming that one day the Son of God Himself. Thousands of years, the prophets declaring that one day the Messiah Himself, the God Himself, will become flesh just like you and I. For what purpose? For the purpose of going to the cross. For the purpose of opening up a way, an avenue by which mankind could be saved. Mankind has always been in need of salvation. Mankind has always been been in need of God's undivided attention. And right here in this one particular passage, this is where the rubber meets the road. Yes, it's beautiful when he died after he was scourged and he rose again. That's all wonderful. That's all awesome. And without that, there'd be no salvation today. But I'm thinking about, my heart always goes to this triumphal entry. Because he wanted to proclaim to the, he wanted to gather them up like, like chicks, like a hen does its chicks. And they missed him. John chapter 1 talks about how God himself became flesh. And he dwelt among his own people. And his own people missed the reality of it all. They missed it. Thousands of years culminating right here in this one particular passage. He's ready to enter Jerusalem's gates for the very last time, this side of heaven. For the very last time. And they're hailing him. Hosanna, 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 etc. And it was beautiful. Can you imagine? This was Passover time. It was Passover. It was a major Jewish celebration. It was a major festival. Think about the three years of ministry, the three years that he devoted to ministry, and how those three years served to draw the masses from all over. And people came from all over to hear, to see, to experience. Unfortunately, most people came with an ulterior motive. 
Not everybody wanted to know the Christ himself. They wanted something from him. They wanted physical uh, food, sustenance, and, or physical healing, etc. And many people received just that because Jesus was compassionate. He wept over the masses. He wept here over the masses. He drew the people to him for three years. And can you imagine in your mind's eye the crowds during that season? It was a lengthy season. And can you imagine how many people came from far and wide to hear the Christ himself? Thousands, hundreds of thousands. Some theologians um, theorized that there were about 600,000 Jews in Jerusalem during that time. Um, we have a couple million today in Israel today. But 600,000 Jews, that's a lot of people. And can you imagine how many of them took the time out during that span of time to come here and to experience this strange phenomenon. This individual who claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of God. Now think in terms of this one particular passage and the crowd that's here now. Not just the residents of Jerusalem, but the residents of the entire world. It's a play on words. But think about the masses that came from all over. Because when I read the Gospels, especially this one passage, the impression that I walk away with is that a lot of people were present. More than usual were present here. And they wanted to get a good look at Jesus. <clears throat> now, use your imagination with me. He's entering Jerusalem and they're hailing Him. They're praising Him. The same people five days later were crying out to crucify Him. And they probably wanted Him to be politically correct. Go ahead and be like the modern day contemporary politicians. That you see them and they're waving and all this smile and this and that. And when they get the first opportunity to stab you in the back, right? A politician, that's not what Jesus did on this particular day. He was on that cult. He entered Jerusalem. But he was not a politician that day. His mind was occupied. There was a burden in his heart. He's about to lay his life down for mankind and they failed to connect the dots. Major time. Passover represents, it's a celebration that has to do with their deliverance from Egypt thousands of years prior. This is a very important scene right here. Our Jesus, the antitype of the type thousands of years prior that was sacrificed, the blood that was painted on the, on the doorposts of every Jewish home in Egypt. The type, and now the antitype, is standing before them. And he's, he's motivated to go to the cross so that salvation can truly be experienced. You talk about love. You talk about resolve. You talk about commitment. That's my Jesus. How about you? This was a, a controversial time in many ways. But in the end, for so many, Jesus had become more appealing than the religion of their day. I want you to think about that for a moment. 
in, see if I have the verse listed here someplace. I'm not going to care for it right now. But the last, the last verse, look to Luke 19, that very last verse in that chapter. Verse 48. It says, but they did not find anything they could do. These are the people that were plotting to destroy him. They hated him. They despised him. But what are these people saying about the rest of the people? For all the people were hanging on his words. Point number one. Let's take a walk with Jesus. And I want you to use your imagination. I want you to take a walk with Jesus here today. Because more often than not, we fail to truly appreciate what Jesus Christ had to endure for your salvation and mine when we fail to place ourselves in His shoes. It was a difficult path. La via dolorosa. It was a painful path. It was a dusty road that your Jesus and mine had to walk on. Place yourself in his sandals. And the burden that he must have been carrying in his heart, his soul, in his spirit, the weight of it all on his physical body, he had endured everything. And now, he's heading to the cross. But he's still declaring his message to the people. One of the very first things that Jesus Christ did after entering Jerusalem was seek out the temple. Because the, the things of God were the things that were most on his mind and on his heart. He went into the house of God. He went into the temple. He put together a few pieces of this and that. He turned over some tables. He spanked some people. With his words, he scourged them to a degree. Just use your imagination. Because they had turned his house into a house of dens, a house of thieves. And it's, it's a good thing to make a note of something right here. Because when Jesus Christ went into the temple, there's a consensus, not all, but there's a consensus among some theologians concerning what took place, or rather, concerning the room that these people were occupying with the, the animals, with the birds, with the, the, the tables filled with money. And many theologians believe that they were occupying the room that the law had reserved for the Gentiles. Did you know that the temple wasn't only for Jewish people? Gentiles were also allowed to enter and make sacrifice and consecrate themselves to the God of Israel. That's a reality that has taken place throughout all the pages of the Old Testament. Israel absorbed many from so many other nations. 
And this was a moment when Jesus Christ took the opportunity to rebuke and to reprimand those who did not make room for people who weren't like them. They were using up the room that was set aside for Gentile worship. They were hypocrites. Luke 19.27 reads, But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Bring them here and... What's this talking about? I'll tell you what it's talking about. This is the last parable that Jesus Christ shared with the mob, with his disciples and the people that were present there to hear him out. Right before he entered into Jerusalem's gates, this is the last parable. This is the last verse of the parable. His last words, if you will. It has to do with his message, with the gospel that he had been preaching for three years already. And the influence that he had on the masses through his disciples, his apostles. The word of God spread far and wide. Many people heard, but most rejected what Jesus Christ had to say. Most today reject what Jesus teaches, what Jesus has to say. Most today, and many in our very own churches are struggling With this thing called appropriation. Taking ownership of Jesus Christ. And the things that pertain to Him. It's not easy. Why? Because many times our sights are focused on things that are not important. And when this happens to us, we miss Jesus. He walked among them. He gave them a parable and concluded, But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. And think about what's going to take place in the future. It wasn't something that Jesus was looking to to make happen right there and then. That's not what I'm saying. But think about the bigger picture here. Jesus is alive. He's preaching the gospel And he's trying to make a way for people to come to know him in faith. Why? So that they could experience salvation. Because one day, one day very soon, relative to your existence and mine, we're going to stand before God. And we are going to give an account of our lives. I'm thankful that one day I will stand before him in judgment. But it will not be before the white throne judgment. It's going to be a horrible time. It's going to be a horrible season for billions upon billions upon billions of people. Because because for whatever reason they chose to dismiss the Messiah. Jesus Christ. Point number two. They heard him gladly. Turn in your Bibles with me please to hope. But keep your finger here in Luke 19. Turn to Mark 12, 37. Mark 12, 37. <clears throat> Say amen when you find it, please. Pretty fast. 
Matthew, Mark, second book in the New Testament. Verse 37 reads, And the great throng, or at least a portion of verse 37, the part of it that's relevant to our discussion. It says, And the great throng heard him gladly. The great throng. It's a, a word that we don't use often nowadays. But the point is that there was a large crowd that was here present, listening to Jesus Christ, attentively listening to him. But just a few days later, they sort of changed their tune. Because now they're declaring, crucify him, crucify him. And most of the people that were present were actually guilty or conspired in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Not everybody was in agreement with him. But Jesus succeeded in causing them to at least hear what he had to say. The point is, it's important for you and I to take heed and to listen to whatever it is Jesus has to declare to you and I concerning our lives today. He has a message for us. How many know that Jesus Christ has a message for us? And how many know that it's not a religious message? It's not a, a list of do's and don'ts either. And it's not a message of condemnation either. It's a, it's a beautiful message. It's a glorious message. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a hope and a future. On the other side of the cross, when I was living on that side, as well as you, there was a whole lot of condemnation. There was, there was a lot to fear, but not today. Not today. Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But there's still a message for us to live out nonetheless. It doesn't matter how beautiful it is, and it's beautiful, it's glorious. I'm going to see Jesus one day very soon. But we're still in this body. We're still in this flesh. And just like he was declaring a message to them that day, so that they can hear and have the opportunity to be saved and live a fruitful life, they missed it. They missed his voice, his words, the message of truth. You and I here today, it's imperative that you and I listen acutely to what Jesus has to say to us today. Because the message is just as important today as it was 2,000 years ago. The message is just as important today as it was 4,000 years ago. 6,000 years ago. In the Garden of Eden. Long ago. The message of God has always been important. Because when God's children, when we deviate from the gospel truth, we find ourselves in some trouble. And more often than not, it, 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 it brings about this compromise in our lives that gives us so much trouble. I don't know about you, but I open, when I open the window just a little bit, metaphorically speaking, just a little bit to the voice of compromise, to a voice that is contrary to the message of God, I invite in a lot of difficulty. And sometimes it's not easy to get over it. Sometimes I find myself habitually living out the voice, the negativity of whatever it is I absorbed. How many know that we become the information we take in? How many know that? 
For as, he, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And whatever it is we possess within our hearts, that's exactly what we are going to live out. Jesus Christ, long ago, having a conversation with his disciples um, and the Pharisees, actually he was directing it to the Pharisees, he said, you generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak any good thing? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see? And, and the point of this is that the voice of God serves to eradicate from us the part of us that seeks to keep us from serving the Lord in spirit and in truth. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not a perfectionist. That's not what I'm preaching here today. I already started off by telling you that there is no condemnation. This life is beautiful. He took me just as I was in the prison cell. He takes us today just as we are. And there's nothing you could ever do to earn your place in heaven. To earn your salvation today. Absolutely nothing. So this thing is glorious. But does that mean I can live my life however it is I choose? Does it mean that I can go forth now and live however, do whatever, with whomever? Does it mean? We're talking, we had a conversation with... um, Zoe's mother yesterday, um, Hilda, and she wrestled with this thing because Ron and I try to get her to understand justification. We try to help her understand sanctification and the beauty that when you come to Christ, He removes the stain of sin. He eradicates it. And when He looks upon us as His children, He sees His Son. He sees Jesus. He sees the blood of Jesus. That's what he sees when he looks upon us, if you know Jesus. And she couldn't wrap her mind around that. She refused. Because she understood that she was a sinner. She made that clear to me, to us. I know that I am a sinner. And from that position, she could not bring herself to receive the wisdom that we were sharing with her concerning the unconditional love of God. And what God wanted to do in her life. And she walked away rejecting it. Because it didn't compute. She couldn't make sense of it. Anyway. The word of God is important for you and I. And God intends to use it. To make us more like himself. This crowd. The verse reads. And the great throng. Heard him. Gladly. It would be wrong for me to say that everybody who was present that day ultimately turned their backs on Jesus. That wouldn't be biblical. Because there were a lot of people who wept at the foot of the cross after Jesus Christ was crucified. Even a centurion recognized Jesus there in the end. A lot of people come, came to know him personally and intimately. That day, that entire week, in fact, because they heard his voice. How much more you and I? The Holy Spirit ministers to you and I, doesn't he? Are you sensitive enough to hear the voice of God within you? Are you sensitive enough to make a distinction between your voice and God's voice? Between your voice and the voice of this world? Between God's voice and the voice of the enemy? 
Are you discerning enough to recognize the difference in how God woos us in his direction so that we can become more like him this side of heaven? There's more to God than what we are currently experiencing. Last point. <clears throat> and by the way, before I get into this, um, in two weeks, not next Sunday, because obviously next Sunday we're going to have a, a, a message focused on resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the, month, the, the Sunday thereafter, until God says when, until God says, says stop, we're going to get into an expository study of the book of Romans. I'm not going to wait anymore. I love the book of Romans. It's my favorite book, and that's exactly what we're going to do. How many looking forward to that? <clears throat> yeah, because some of you have been dogging me about it, too. I don't appreciate your tone, either. <clears throat> Point number three, follow him to death. If you're putting down notes, follow him to death. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the triumphal entry. He has entered. It's now midweek. It's now getting close. He's about to prepare the Last Supper with his disciples. And the heat is on. The fire is up high. And Jesus is ready to die. Right before it happens, the night before, doesn't matter. He says, Father, in Gethsemane, if it were possible some other way, let it happen. Let, if I got to drink this cup, Lord, I'm going to drink it. But is, is there some other way? And Jesus is wrestling with this thing back and forth. Of course, he knew that he was going to follow through all the way, which he did. But, but, but picture him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying so earnestly, droplets of blood. Google that when you get an opportunity or look up on YouTube so that you can get an understanding, the scientific perspective regarding the possibility, the, the strain, the frustration, the strain, the, 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 the agony that Jesus Christ was experiencing and what happens to the cells on the brow and how they rupture and you can in fact bleed when that happens. Think of the agony of you, Jesus, and mine. I, I, I went through it. It's powerful how science proved that. He was sweating blood because of the agony. Why? Because he was going to die. And Paul tells us that his death actually served to secure our salvation. And did you know that Christianity today doesn't work unless we die? So what I stated first is that by dying, Jesus Christ secured the salvation of all those who would look to him in faith. You look to Jesus Christ in faith, salvation becomes a reality. You accept him as Lord and Savior. You recognize the fact that you are a sinner and that you need him in your life. The Bible teaches that salvation becomes a reality just like that. Just like that. It doesn't take place over time. It happens instantly if you genuinely pray to receive Jesus. And oh, what a wonderful life we can live thereafter. But in the same way that his death brought about our salvation, 
Today, Christianity is not possible in our life unless we too follow Jesus to death. You, you and I, we have to die. I'm almost done. I'm watching the clock. Trust me. You and I must die as well. We have to die. Christianity has never worked for the individual who walked away after a prayer, but not living it out. And so we often hear from time to time people declare, well, I tried that once before and it never worked. I confess Jesus as Lord. And then you look into their affairs and you find out that they never followed through with a prayer in their lives. When it worked for me, no, it works. But you have to appropriate, you have to take ownership of Jesus. It's not about a prayer. It's about a reality, a substance, receiving Him as Lord and Savior. It's about a fellowship and intimacy. And if you supposedly say a prayer and you walk away and you choose to continue life as it was, then there obviously wasn't no salvation that took place in your life. There obviously was no salvation that took place in your life. The main component there that I'm alluding to is the need for you and I to die. Some of you here, some of the young people here are wrestling with faith and salvation. The substance of it is not necessarily fluid in your life and some of the adults. And we wrestle with it and we wonder why there's no, there's no substance, there's no oomph. There are no beans to go with the rice. <laughs> yeah, whatever, right? And, and, we, and we wrestle with this thing and we wonder what's happening because of the component, the, 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 the missing element. We have to die. Listen to these verses and I'm done. I got three verses and I'm done. Luke 9.23. But I want you to see it for yourself. Turn there. Luke 9.23. You there say amen. Luke 9.23. This is Jesus. Talking. And he said to all... If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I'm going to repeat that. And he said to all, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny himself. Deny. When you look at the Greek, it's similar to the word which relates to death. You have to stop living, Jesus Christ is saying. You have to denounce yourself. And you have to take up your cross. What does that mean? Well, you have to take up my cause. You have to take up my message, my gospel, my truth. The standard by which I'm trying to get you to live your life. That's your cross. Not a literal cross. It'd be funny for all of us to be leaving here. Right? With a cross on our shoulders, right? Wouldn't that look funny? But think about its true meaning. There has to be a denial of self and a reconciliation with the things that pertain to God. Not in some legalistic matter. As if you have to perfect that before you can determine yourself to be saved. We've already settled the idea of salvation. This has to do with our growth and our development. 
I don't know about you, but I want the abundant life that Jesus Christ promised in John 10.10. Next verse, Galatians, turn there with me. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians 5. Say amen when you find it. Verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I'm going to read that again. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's a part of me that wants to serve the Lord. But there's also a part of me that does not want to serve the Lord. A part of me that's strong, that's alive, that wants to serve the things of this world. Essentially, by default, serve the devil. There's a part of me that doesn't want to please God. And that is the case with every single one of us. This verse refers to, it uses the word crucified. It says crucified. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. This is a reference to those who have committed themselves to Jesus. Past tense, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If you know Jesus Christ today, if you're wrestling in any way, shape, or form, ask yourself whether you have turned your life over to God or not. The Bible says, test yourselves to see if indeed you are in the faith. Last verse, turn with me to Mark chapter 8. I'm almost done, last one. Mark chapter 8. Say amen, please, when you find it. Wow, you guys are no joke. It's like five seconds and you got it. You got it already, Ellie? Really? It's like that? <laughs> amen. Verse 35. Mark eight thirty-five. It says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels... The same will save it. And there's that point all over again right there. The Christian needs to die. The follower of Jesus needs to die. You need to die to self. And let me tell you this in closing. When you die, when we die as Christians, dying to the flesh. <laughs> wow, pastor talked today. We got to die. We got, no, no, please don't do that. Don't take your life. That's not what I'm saying here. You have to die to self. This physical, this flesh, this passion, this lust. The part of us that, that longs for us to wander and drift away from the wonderful life called Christianity. This flesh, Romans 7 talks about it. The part of us that, that gives us trouble today. Jesus Christ wants that. He wants it. He says, sacrifice it to me. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God... That you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is God's good, perfect, and acceptable will. It's only one way we can do that, when we turn this over to Him. And right here in Mark chapter 8, verse 35. 
It says we lose our lives if we fail to die to self. We lose ourselves. And we cannot truly experience the abundant life that he promises us in his word. This side of heaven unless we turn ourselves over to him. Amen? Amen. Stand with me. I'm done, Joy. Oh, oh, yes. El papelito. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Please do not run off. I, I want to make an announcement at this time. When we're done, please don't run off. If you can stay for a few moments, please stay for a few moments. Right here in the breezeway, right in the first room, right here, we have a special celebration for a special young lady today. For special, special. Amen? We are going to, can I say it? Can I just say it? We are going to cut a cake for our sister Charlene.
Somebody here today to say yes to Jesus. We thank you for the service and our time in your presence. We pray these things, Lord God. In Jesus' name, and God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Don't forget, we're going to cut a cake right here. We're going to cut it almost immediately. You can take a piece of cake with you. God bless you guys.